Coming up, what an excellent day for the worst scene in the movie. This is it, folks. We're here. We finally made it. Yay. A man walks into the office of a Hollywood executive and says, have I got a movie for you? The Hollywood executive, he's intrigued. He says, well, go on, pitch it to me. The man begins to piss all over the Hollywood executive's floor while looking the executive dead in the eye. He then brings in a doctor and a shrink who are waiting in the wings. He backhands the doctor who reels back, slips on the piss, falls to the floor unconscious, and shits himself. He shouts to the unconscious doctor, the sow is mine, and fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. He then grabs the shrink by the balls and squeezes, and the shrink screams and crumples to the floor and faints in a puddle of piss. After this, he grabs the movie director, who didn't know he was part of the story, and stands him up before the executive. He snaps his neck, and he crumples to the floor in the puddle of piss and shits himself. The man then takes out a crucifix and begins stabbing himself in the dick with it, violently and repeatedly, all while screaming, Let Jesus fuck you! Let Jesus fuck you! He is now bleeding from the dick. And the blood is gushing down his leg and onto the piss-soaked carpet. His mother comes in and he smacks her to the piss-soaked floor, damaging her spine. She screams until she faints and then shits herself. Meanwhile, the man is stabbing himself in the dick with a bloody crucifix. His gray pants have turned a glossy red-black resembling an, an amarina cherry. He begins to vomit and the vomit shoots out and hits the Hollywood executive in the face. The man continues to stab and vomit and stab and vomit, all while continuing to piss, looking like some nightmarish automated sprinkler system that is leaking at the base. <laughs> there is so much piss and blood and vomit on the floor that the Hollywood executive can no longer see the man's feet. Then the man's own mother comes in and dies and shits herself. <laughs> then two priests come in and they begin to wade over to the man. But there is so much blood and piss and vomit and shit that they have to hike up their knees to wade through. The old priest has a heart attack and dies on the way and shits himself. <laughs> Then the young priest reaches the man who is still stabbing himself in the dick and shouting, let Jesus fuck you, through the vomit, which continues to spew unabated from his mouth. The priest punches the man in the face, and they both fall to the floor, writhing and rolling in the piss, and the shit, and the blood, and the vomit. And all the while, the priest is punching him, and punching him, and punching him. And there's a detective there for some reason, and then the priest stands up, runs to the window, and launches himself out the window and falls down a flight of steps, all the way down to the busy street below. There is silence in the Hollywood executive's office now. He stands up and finds the man lying sprawled in a puddle of his own blood and piss and vomit. And he says, that's amazing. What do you call it? The man gets up from the floor, puts out his hands in a flourish and says, the exorcist. <laughs> 
Well, howdy, folks, and welcome to Minute 79 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark, and my voice is totally shot. And I'm Keenan Diaz, and I am embarrassed. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and we'll be your holy... I don't even know. Um... <laughs> Let me try that again. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Uh, And folks, if you're sitting there wondering what the hell that was, I was, of course, referencing The Aristocrats, which is a legendary joke within the stand-up community where uh, each comic has their own version and it changes every time and they all try to uh, top each other with how gross and offensive and graphic they can make it. And I don't know, if you take the events of The Exorcist out of context like I just did, it does kind of seem like someone is trying to do an updated version of The Aristocrats joke. And what better episode what better minute folks to talk about the shock and the horror than this minute right here this is the minute folks this is the minute that we uh that uh everyone has joked about us having to cover this is the minute we have joked about having to cover and here we are six months later we have reached this minute i don't even know what we do for this one do we get silly do we try to move past it as fast as we can this is at once, the most shocking and horrible thing to happen in this movie, and also one of the things that makes this movie famous. It's like, how do we approach this? How do we deal with this? Well, apparently, if you're me, you do your best Gilbert Gottfried impersonation, and you make the whole thing a big joke. <laughs> Just want to shout out the documentary, The Aristocrats, where they, mm. they have all these different comedians do their version of it, and they, they go into a little bit of the history of it. And the best version of The Aristocrats, besides Gilbert Gottfried, which is the most famous, um, mm-hmm. the best one is Wendy Liebman, who is one of my favorite comics. Ah, so yes. Take a look at hers. So go check that out. The, the name of the documentary is uh, The Aristocrats. The Aristocrats. The, Aristocrats. <laughs> <sighs> the Exorcist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should have a, a, a warning at the beginning of uh, this episode. Yes, yes. This is a special, special, explicit, very explicit. Very explicit. The the little, uh, I mean, I mark this as E for explicit in all of our episodes, but it's almost it almost seems as if uh, Keenan and I were, were talking before we hit the record button. It almost seems as if that one little E isn't enough for this mm-hmm. one. It should be E-E, like extra explicit or just like... <laughs> Explicit. No, 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 no. Really explicit. Like, you know, EE, that's my shoe size, <laughs> actually. So well, there I, we go. I was wearing wide shoes. This is too much information, I suppose. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. wearing, you know, like nine and a half wide, right? Uh-huh, and uh-huh. then I found out that that's not wide enough. I need double E. Wow. Which I guess is so wide that the, that the W has to be on its side twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess it's very common amongst my peoples, my uh, Pacific Islander. We call them surfboard feet. Wow. Oh, I surfboard. I like super, that surfboard yeah. feet. Could... <laughs> Not that I could surf, but yeah. Wait, am I even allowed to like that? I, <laughs> I give you permission specifically oh. in this instance. Thank you. Thank you, Keenan. <laughs> Thank you, Keenan Diaz. Um, you know what they say about people with EE feet? Uh, they got like uh, surfboards. They got, <laughs> they got like surfboards. surfboards. <laughs> yeah. They have much more. Um, no, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I'm not even gonna. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll talk about the Exorcist today. Yeah, um, I guess I guess that is that is what we do here. We examine, extrapolate, and excavate. Um, but yeah, three E's. Three, yeah, the, the, the three E's. Why is E? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this uh, extra explicit Exorcist minute, there we go. Mm-hmm. That, that should have been our warm extra explicit Exorcist minute. Extra explicit Exorcist minute. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, but yeah. So. 
Ooh, um, yeah. Uh, so, so jumping into this minute, our minute begin. Does it even matter? <laughs> is anyone is anyone out there like, huh? I wonder how the boys are going to react to how Ellen Burstyn closes the door on uh, Lee J. Cobb. Is, like, <laughs> that's what I want to know. No, like. Okay, actually, on that note, this mm-hmm. this is a really good time to talk about the history and the evolution of front doors. No. Um, oh, I want to know, now that you bring it up, <laughs> <laughs> when do we start yes. having front doors? What, what distractions can we can we find in this in this minute that we don't have to talk? This is, like, like as, as famous as we are for falling into traps, there are no traps that we can fall into in this thing. Mm-hmm. This is this is devoid of traps. This is um, it's like Friedkin went in there and he took out he 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 took out all the doors and windows and we're just trapped in this room. Mm-hmm. Um, the room uh, was a film, but no no no. <laughs> but no. So yeah, we got we got Kinderman promising to come back when Reagan is feeling better, and Chris doesn't really even react to this. If you notice, folks, right? Like at this point, she just wants him out, right? Mm-hmm. And there's even a little moment when she nods to Kinderman, like yeah yeah yeah, okay okay. And then Kinderman passes her and goes to the door. And so he's not looking at her. And you would think that like this, okay, this is where, you know, Chris makes a face or she shows us what she uh, uh, really thinks of Kinderman coming back, uh, uh, you know, later. But even mm-hmm. then, there, there's like this, like, nope, no time. Just just, uh, just get him out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and that plays across her features. And, and she nods to Kinderman. Uh, uh, she then, uh, when, when he's not looking, she just keeps on nodding, like maybe to herself, like, like nope, just get him out, just get him out, just get him out, <laughs> right? Like, it's, right. it's Don't like, ask him about the history of front doors. <laughs> no, just do it, yeah. <laughs> Don't bring him back in. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know who invented the Ouija board? Nothing to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He started telling this joke, like he sounded like Gilbert Gottfried. I was like, mm, yeah. yes, it's a very funny joke. Yes, yes. Oh, oh, stabbed in the dick. Wow, yeah. Wow. Um, but no, it like it, it is like she is holding her breath in this moment, right? Like holding everything in. Um, he could say anything and she wouldn't react. She'd be like, yep, yep, sure. You know, as, mm-hmm. as he makes his way to the door to get out of the house, right? Like mm-hmm. so much, so, like she's so distracted Keenan and by contrast our El- uh, our actor Ellen Burstyn is so present in that distraction right, right to answer that question again right that she forgets to open the door for her guest and Kinderman has to do it himself and if she notices that little you know like faux pas that she made right she doesn't even care she doesn't even apologize like oh I'm so sorry my mind was elsewhere thinking about everything you just said nope she just lets it happen let's move on Great. You open the door by yourself. You can see yourself out. Goodbye, detective. Like, I'm holding my breath over everything you just said. I need to breathe goodbye. Right? Mm -hmm. And he finally, finally leaves. Now, folks, remember in the book, actually, he comes back one more time. Can you... Can you imagine after the amazing bit of tense acting that Ellen Burstyn is doing here, she closes the door, locks it, and he knocks again? (laughs) But that that doesn't happen. Instead, she closes the door, locks it, and sort of puts a hand over her mouth. And you can see the the true horror of what has happened sort of start to sink in. I say start because it is interrupted, not by Kinderman. It is interrupted in the worst possible way. I'm realizing now this this movie, this demon, is especially evil in that he does not allow people the time or the space to deal with things, mm-hmm. to to grieve or to process. It, it happened when Chris and Sharon were denied the time and the space to grieve for Burke, 
Right. Uh, remember, because uh, 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 Captain Howdy had had Reagan spider walk down the stairs. Yeah, licking and, Sharon's ankles. And, and licking Sharon's ankles, which mm-hmm. is like, it. not only is it like disturbing and inappropriate, like mm-hmm. in any given circumstance, <laughs> but like, like you just lost like your best friend. Right. And, and it's, it's like these two, it's, it's, it, I, I keep on wanting to say rude, but it's like, yeah. and it is rude, yeah. but it's like, like that word doesn't even, it's, it's, it's offense. It's blasphemous. There we go. Mm-hmm. It's blasphemous. And, and that same thing is happening now. It's almost as, as if it is intentional. It's almost as if the demon knew about the conversation going on downstairs with Kinderman, waited for him to be gone and then started this whole next thing. Yeah. I think that one of the things that the filmmakers do really well, Blatty and Owen Roisman, the cinematographer, the editor mm-hmm. and, and the actors, is that they we don't get really a sense in these moments, these dramatic moments, that it is about to get interrupted. Like there's not like a right. shot that like we could frame Chris where we're um, she's in the lower left hand corner and most of the shot is, is of the stairs. And we're like, oh, well, this is, you know, that's where I should be paying attention. Yeah. yeah oh, what's going to happen with those stairs? Ooh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you call it an anticipatory shot. Right. So like, OK, we're still doing the, the last thing, but but we're going to make the audience start to think like, OK, there's something else coming. Right. Yeah. So we're always completely in these moments, um, which is where I think that some, you know, some people who watch this with a more modern lens and they're like, this isn't, you know, some people don't think The Exorcist is very scary. I get that mm. a lot. You know, like younger, younger people are, you know, fans of today's type of horror movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because like we have all this drama stuff going on and we don't also have it like, you know, like even in a movie we, we might like, like Hereditary or something, right? right yeah. The drama is, is still shot and tinged like it's a horror movie. So mm-hmm. we're constantly worried, or like um, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, which is a mm-hmm. lot of people talking about, you know, really important stuff in, in their lives about faith and, and right. medicine, but they're framed in a way they were like, oh God, at any minute some monster can come out and eat me. Right. Mm-hmm. But here we're doing the exact opposite. Like this is a straight up drama. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're thinking about these people. We're really experiencing with them. And then these shocks happen, um, you know, out of nowhere. It feels. Yes. Yeah. And m- much more so like real life. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, like, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's the I think that is what uh, what gets to me the most. I I would I would. I would be more relieved if it if there were like uh, some anticipatory mm-hmm. uh, angles or shots or or like a little bit of music like just some you know some violins just kind of like thrumming after she closes the door and it's just like you know like you you know that something's coming and it's almost like it's almost like the that that anticipatory climbing up the roller coaster mm-hmm, uh, right. the, the first part you know it's like oh we're setting it up we're setting it up we're setting right. it up and then we drop right, right. Mm-hmm. but this one is like that that rising didn't happen and it's just like you're coasting it's not it's like you're not even on a roller coaster it's mm-hmm. like you're on like one like the teacups and they suddenly drop <laughs> and you're like i thought i was in the teacups hey right. what in the <laughs> this is not even supposed like it's like it's like you're at disneyland and they give you a churro and then suddenly the floor drops <laughs> yeah the churro stand it's like i'm not even on a ride <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Mickey Mouse punches you in the dick. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, no. Like, uh, but uh, for that reason, Keenan, I I appreciate it so much more because it is. Well, I, like, I appreciate it, and I don't. I mm-hmm. don't like it. I don't like the way it makes me feel. You right. Know? Um, but and and maybe that's why I kind of gravitate towards the more, I don't know, um, uh, uh, showy, uh, maybe like I guess winky 
types uh-huh. of horror movies that have that music, that have the like, dun, dun, you know, and they have those anticipatory shots and everything like that. It's right. like, I am, I guess it gives me more of a sense of control, right? It's like, like the world, the real world is unpredictable and unfair and, and, and uh, offensive and blasphemous to my, you know, like to my, my, my sensibilities and my, my ideas of how I perceive things. Right. I want like, but when I'm watching uh, those other types of horror movies, I'm like, yes, this is horrific because it's supposed to be. This it's it's following this formula, and this is the story as it is playing out. And it's like a it's like a a piece of music or something, right? Yeah, you know, uh, I had a friend of mine who just said that. Well, you know, like a thriller is is a movie where you're having fun by being worried, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And a horror movie is when you're having fun by getting scared. You know, like yeah. the roller coaster or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, The Exorcist is certainly a horror movie. I don't know if The Exorcist is fun, right? That's a little <laughs> bit right. You know what I mean? Like that. That's a little bit different than than what some other of these other movies are. Um, yeah, yeah. It is. This is a a Bergman film, right? This yeah. is this is. Uh, and, and you know, we 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 are in conversation with Bergman films and The Exorcist. Yes, yeah. definitely. Um, so it's not fun. No, no. You hear that, listeners? <laughs> None of this is fun. <laughs> but no, it, I mean, we would still call like still call it like a masterful work in that it it makes you feel these things right and and it is it is so close to the the uh uh it, well let's say it's it's closer um to the these like real life shocks and and tragedies that that we experience right yeah like jaws jaws the other you know great horror movie from the same time is fun mm-hmm. right like yes it's scary but you don't feel like dread like some of the characters one of you know there's only one character in jaws that you get to know Mm-hmm. Um, who dies? I mean, um, yeah, yeah. So, so it's like, okay, that sucks when he gets eaten, but like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, it's still a fun movie, right? right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, so back to this minute, I want to actually talk uh, a little bit more about um, Chris's processing of everything that's just gone on before she goes upstairs, um, or we could say like Ellen Burstyn's processing, uh, Chris's processing, right? It's it's um, it's almost like a self soothing thing that she's doing. Um, like she's regressed to a much younger age with all of this information, right? Um, mm-hmm. So she's she's still leaning on the door, right? And she takes a deep breath and she sort of rallies and she regroups and then she turns and she looks and then she starts walking. And I'm guessing maybe back to the kitchen she's walking, but mm-hmm. as she walks, she's got both hands uh, clenched into fists and they're sort of like drawn close to her, but they're still pointing outward. Um, and we got, we got the right one up and the left one down and you can see because they're a little bit apart from her body, especially the right one, you could see that they're shaking. It's, it's like she's trying to hold herself without using her hands. Mm-hmm. Um, like her arms want to wrap around her, but her hands stay out and balled into fists. But then that left fist finally comes up and she sort of like curls them both up in front of her. Like she's curling up, like like she is curling up smaller and smaller as if all of the warmth is leaving her body and she's just trying to hold on to it um, as the realization starts to sink in. Um, and you'll notice, folks, the next thing starts with that same sound that we've heard, that sound which has haunted us from the beginning of the Washington sequence, that attic sound, that loud clang. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, 
I, I hadn't really thought about that till we were listening, you know, again, listening to it bit by bit by bit. Yeah. So it's that same, you can, it's like the same, I, I know they don't use sound files, but it's mm-hmm, like, it's the right. exact same, same sound. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, the next thing we hear is Reagan screaming, no, followed by another voice shouting, do it. Chris runs to the stairs, tries to run up them, is going too fast, stumbles, catches herself, keeps running all the while Reagan is screaming and this other voice is screaming obscenities, right? Uh, Another quick cut here. We're upstairs. Chris is now running towards us, but her eyes are on that door, the door to her daughter's room. Another cut. The door is flung open, and we are met with a scene of pure chaos. So much like the lights going on and off and the phone ringing after he killed Burke. Mm -hmm. You think this is just uh, like Captain Howdy's power just making all the stuff in the room go crazy? You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about since you were sort of asking this kind of question is like, I I think I think potentially I think you're sort of converting me, Lester, to Mm -hmm. like to like everything Captain Howdy is doing is on purpose. He is in control of this. Like he wants Chris to come up here like he wants Reagan to get caught. So like he's he's controlling Reagan in such a way that that like why would she call out right and say no or anything? Um, Yeah. So so I think that it's all controlled. So that's not really Reagan doing that's Captain Howdy controlling Reagan. And Mm. um, yeah, I'm I'm completely sold on this idea now. Mm. Thanks to you. And um, yeah, it's interesting. We get all these like yeah records flying about and everything going. And mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think that I think he's purposely making it more chaotic than it probably needs to be. Right. Mm, right. Yeah. It, it's like she comes in and it's it's the perfect moment. She comes in at the right moment as everything yes. is flying about. Yeah. So she doesn't come in and everything is already broken from this uh, swirl of uh, of wind and energy or whatever. She comes in right. just when it's, as if he's like waiting behind. Like okay, three. Two, one. <laughs> Precisely. Yes, exactly. This is, I mean, and folks, this is like a like another level of evil. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about a demon here, but, and this kind of goes into uh, what I'm going to talk about more a little bit later about how, yeah, I personally don't think that Reagan is Captain Howdy's target. And this was all kind of uh, uh, meant to, you're, you're right, Keenan. this was, this was meant to hurt Chris as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, he's waiting to show this to Chris. Um, Cause if, I mean, like if he wanted to do it, like, Silently, he could have done that silently, right? Right, exactly. like he, yeah. Um, but no, this is this is all for the. Well, I guess what's the opposite of ben- benefit? Um, this is <laughs> this is for this this is for Chris's pain, as as well as Reagan's pain. Right. This is this is to to cause as much hurt as possible. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's a lot of stuff flying through the air. Um, I notice now we see a lot of records, and that hit differently this time. Like, how many times have you seen? a poltergeist movie where a bunch of things are flying around the room and it's scary because a bunch of things are flying around the room mm-hmm. and you and you don't realize like wait those are her things mm-hmm. like like that record that flung up against the window is something that she listened to that's right. her property right and this again like other movies they use this effect um to sort of show off the abilities of the ghost, right? It's like it's like this creative spook show, like, ooh, look what I can do, mm-hmm, right? right? Like, I, I'm thinking specifically of, of Poltergeist, where, like, if I'm not mistaken, um, a light bulb is, like, screwed into a lamp in midair, mm-hmm. and a, a record is playing via, like, the needle of one of those little uh, compass drawing tools, right? And and then, like, an action figure flies by riding a, a toy horse, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. It's it's like spooky charming, right? It's it's like the ghosts are playing with the toys. Mm-hmm. But this scene 
is so different contextually. Like we're not supposed to be impressed by this. Yeah, exactly. It's even hard for us to to look at one particular thing. So it'd be hard for us in this scene to, to we have to describe it as a storm, right? A bunch of things happening. And yes. yeah, there are records and books, but but it's not like we're focusing on on the powers of one particular dainty little dance, right? Like in Poltergeist. Right. Yeah. yeah. And obviously there are other scenes in Poltergeist that are crazy crazier like this near the end but oh yes yeah, yes yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and poltergeist gets scary as well yes. um but like in, like this moment specifically in poltergeist um is like i would say that this this moment in exorcist is like the opposite side of that coin <laughs> right, uh-huh. right yeah um and i like okay i gotta remember that you said the word storm mm-hmm, i want to bring mm-hmm. that back um for this specific scene yeah uh but for just a second little thought experiment here keenan let's take captain howdy out of the equation. And let's say that Chris heard her daughter screaming upstairs. She runs up and she opens the door to see a man, just a man. Mm -hmm. And he has destroyed this little girl's room, destroyed her daughter's room, all of her things, all of her toys, her clothes, while Reagan is screaming and crying and cowering in the corner. And now he's going after her. Mm -hmm. This is a nightmare. Right. This is a nightmare that any parent would have, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine if there was no demon in this story. This was just a family drama and this was Howard. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like like before the divorce, he's still living with them and he's this like volatile, unpredictable presence in their house. And you never know what he's going to do or how he's going to react, what's going to set him off. You just, you just, and you just got done talking with the police downstairs. You close the door and then you hear this and you go up and you see this or or like not even Howard, just a random person, Mm -hmm. like a living, breathing person with blood in their veins that has gotten into your house somehow. If I remember correctly, like in The Shining, isn't that like what someone suggests after Danny says the ghost lady in the bathtub in the bathtub tried to strangle him? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's either Wendy or Jack who says it might be a crazy person sharing the hotel with them. I I think in like one yeah Wendy's like like, we got to go and look for this person out there. You know, it's not a ghost; it's somebody out there, and we have to yeah. It's a crazy person, right? Like yeah, I think in the Kubrick version, Wendy says there's a crazy person in the hotel with us, and in an I think also in in the book Jack is the one who like tries to calm them down by saying oh you know because because Denny says it's a ghost and Jack Mm -hmm. is like oh no it's probably just a disgruntled employee (laughs) who's like hiding out in one of the rooms and Wendy's like Jack that's not better (laughs) like that's that's just as bad maybe even worse and ever since then like like it got me thinking, Keenan. Let's paint a picture here like you're wandering around you know an old abandoned house and you hear a noise upstairs would you rather that be a ghost or a crazy person? In there with you? <laughs> oh, geez. Well, it's a, uh, 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 if you had I, to choose. Am I, am I a ghost hunter? In the, do I have? Uh, you no, know? you just you just decided. Okay, you just, like like we because because I actually used to do this in Japan. Like me and my buddies would get together because there's a lot of just like. Uh, abandoned buildings uh, in Japan, like especially out in the countryside, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we found like, um, you know, uh, 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 schools and apartment complexes and hospitals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the, like the hobbies that, that people would do, they would do this like urbex thing. I guess that's, yeah, what's called in America, urbex. Right? Uh, yeah, urban exploration. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, just exploring like abandoned, you know, places and stuff like that. And uh, me and, and you know, a bunch of friends, like we would we would wander through these these places. Um, and, and, Imagine you're doing, imagine you're on an urbex trip with mm-hmm. me, right? Imagine you're just like exploring an old, you know, uh, uh, 
house that I found, right? Mm-hmm. And it's been abandoned for years and years and years. And it's like, it's condemned. We're not even supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're downstairs and we're wandering through the, the foyer and we hear something upstairs. We hear, we hear what, what is obviously like somebody walking around and maybe we hear a door close or mm-hmm. something like that. And we look at each other. Would you rather <laughs> we have stumbled upon a haunted house or, oh shit, there's like some crazy person who's taken up residence upstairs. I think a haunted house. Right? right? Yes. <laughs> because cause like again, it's like a fun, it's it's like the the fun of horror versus the reality, you know, of yes. real life. Like we don't we never think we're gonna die in the horror movie, I suppose. Right. right? And like, oh, it's a ghost and there's rules and like they let us live or whatever. Mm-hmm, Why would mm-hmm. a ghost kill us? Um, and then, you know, so that we wouldn't be able to tell anyone there's a ghost in there, right? Right. There, for some reason, a ghost just seems less dangerous. It just wants to spook you, just there to, to, yeah. to, to, to scare you a little bit. And then we we do the and then we and then we do that that Scooby Doo running and then we you know all the different all the different doors down the one long hallway Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) and then we leave we leave a a Lester and Keenan shaped hole in the front door right and then that's it right and then both of us eat like a you know a three foot tall sandwich right yeah but that like yeah no 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 like in all seriousness like yeah a a real person would scare me even more right right? Mm -hmm. a real person with this doing the same things and i think that's i I don't know why that is but it like just the idea that a person has these kind of like violent uh uh uh, malevolent tendencies Mm -hmm. rather than a ghost it just i i don't know why um like i guess i guess the existence of a ghost or the existence of a demon um sort of implies that there's some kind of like lattice work of of like uh, spiritual law that is going mm-hmm. on and the uh, the presence of a person tells me nothing right you know yeah that's what i was saying like are we ghost hunters and this like like if you if you believe that you have the power over ghosts ghosts are not as scary if you believe mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. if you believe maybe if you believe in god or an afterlife ghosts aren't as scary you know yeah. there's some rules to how to get rid of them or what we have to do yeah or even not having not necessarily having power over ghosts but just like ghosts by their very existence seems to imply that like there's there's some kind of like there there's there's hidden blueprints that we're not privy to right and you know there's there's rules that they follow or something like that right right mm-hmm. they can't they can't exist beyond the confines of this haunted house or you know <laughs> right. Whatever, right yeah right and and yeah so folks to, to get back to to what is happening in in this scene in this movie like i'm not saying what's happening here in this movie isn't horrific enough right like this is absolutely horrendous right this is this is the worst thing in the movie Right. Mm-hmm. Like this is the minute that nobody wanted to guest on. And if they did, we would cut all contact with them. Uh, th- this is this is hard to watch. This is hard to talk about. Like we we it's it's hard for us to even get silly in this episode because mm-hmm. it's like the weight of the idea of this thing is just too much. I uh, right. I almost feel bad for doing this episode. I actually thought about like just skipping <laughs> just it. Just skipping. This is the minute just, you don't. This is the minute you've never heard. Yeah. <laughs> and and the reason I brought up the thing with the shining, right? The fact that like maybe a real person is a little bit scarier than a ghost, d- even though they're doing the same thing. I feel like the supernatural element here in this scene in The Exorcist distracts us from what this really is and what this is is rape mm-hmm. like like ironically the fact that it's a demon somehow like not lessens it right but puts it in the realm of unreality mm-hmm. this this fantastical element 
distracts us right. from the actual horror of it. And that's why I said, Keenan, like thought experiment, mm-hmm. this isn't Captain Howdy, this is Howard. Right. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it's it's a thousand times like, like it, I mean, like both of them are horrible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right, but right. like it's it's it, it hits really, really differently, right? And 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 that that supernatural distraction is a tale as old as time, mm-hmm. right? Like Captain Hook is less scary than Mr. Darling. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Right? That's a that's a safe way that we get to explore what it is to be a child, a, a, a young girl who's turning into a woman and your father is worried about your your newfound adulthood and womanhood. Right. Right. Yes. So we'll have Captain Hook do it. We'll have Captain Hook be the, you know, the baddie and he'll and he'll look bad and he'll mm-hmm. sound bad and he'll say bad things and he'll have a fucking hook for him. Right. <laughs> but he's going to sound a lot like your dad and look a lot like your dad. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, if, and you, that's a, if people don't know, so the, the tradition in in the original stage plays and they I think most people still do this when they put on Captain Hook or they put on Peter Pan is that Captain Hook and Mr. Darling are played by the same actor. Played by the same actor. And right. that was done in the Disney uh, right. version as well yes. with uh, Hans Con read playing both parts right. yeah mm-hmm. yeah um and so yeah so captain hook less scary than mr darling elmira gulch mm-hmm. is in some ways scarier than the wicked witch of the west right, right? played by margaret hamilton right, right? Mm-hmm. jack torrance is worse than all of the ghosts <laughs> in the hotel uh-huh right like 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 all of them combined and that's actually a perfect example right there right mm-hmm. stephen king's stephen king's shining the, his book has Jack as a loving father who is possessed by the hotel. And King goes to great lengths to let you know that Jack is fighting with the hotel right. and that the ghosts are real and that they're messing with this family. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick doesn't give two shits right. about that. He makes sure that in the movie, in this movie about a haunted hotel, mm-hmm. the scariest thing is the father. Right. To the point where the ghosts sort of seem ambiguous at times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the big difference between uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and, and uh, Stephen King's The Shining. Both of them uh, amazing works of art in, in their own right. But but one of them very, very much like grounded in this reality of like Jack Torrance is the monster. Right. right? It's not the ghost. So here. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You know, I'm glad that you said that. And that might be really disturbing to listeners. But to think of this as a rape scene. Like yeah. I had not been thinking about it in those terms, but of course you're right. Like this is, mm. this is how we can deal with, with this. Right. Properly, right. right. It's a feminist yeah. movie. It's about women's issues. Right. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and so few movies of the time, um, as we talked about before are like dealing with women's issues, like that are happening in real life. There are, um, you know, it takes until the late seventies before we have movies that are like what, what, what we think of as like non-genre again so like drama or whatever term you want to use for it that are about mm-hmm. like the women's liberation movement right yeah they're in they're in genre movies like this so right. we have the exorcist alien etc right and, and rom-coms and all sorts of things and that's what we're dealing with um or, or like network right which is which is like mm-hmm. um the satire about television that's really about women's it, it, it's about a lot of things but a large yeah. part of it is also about like women's issues right um yeah. so like yeah we can't deal with sexual violence you know directly that is hard for people to you know maybe people want to make movies like that you know artists want to express themselves but audiences don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to it, it's not as safe as you were saying right right so like yeah. alien is about rape it is about yes. like like making men experience what it is to be a woman who is being sexually violated right right, that, right. you know again amongst 
amongst many, many other things. Right. And, and, <laughs> right. That's what that also, video game is about, right? Like, and, and, and with Alien, right, mm-hmm. it is also like empowering women, right? Because mm-hmm. we have we have Ripley uh, fighting the monster right. and defeating the monster in the end, right? And while not overly explicit mm-hmm. with all of this stuff, it's still a little bit more explicit than uh, what's going on here with the Exorcist. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see it. You can say, okay, yeah, the alien is is phallic shaped, mm-hmm. and, right. and the face hugger looks like a vagina, right. mm-hmm. and 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 all of this, and 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 Ripley is the woman who mm-hmm. who who you know kills the you know the giant dick monster, and right. you know, mm-hmm. and and all of this, right? So you can you can very easily like put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. But this this movie hides it so right. insidiously, and it, but like. To the point where, like, people joke about this scene. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, The Exorcist. Oh yeah, that's the one where the the girl in the crucifix, da, 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 right? Like, it's it's it like it's well notorious, not famous, right? Like, for this <laughs> right. scene, you know. Yes, yeah, so I'm really glad you put it because even I had not really thought about it in those terms until you were mm. until you said it here on the show. And, and it's because it's hidden so well. Yeah, and there's another movie, you know, famous at about the same time called Deliverance. You know, Deliverance. I don't know. So Deliverance is about these city folks in if they're from Atlanta and they go and they go on a whitewater rafting tour um, mm. because the dam is there's gonna, they're going to build a dam and the river's going to be gone. So like we got to go prove that we're men out there and it's Burt Reynolds um, yeah. and he sort of leads the team and, and they get they get kidnapped by hillbilly like backwoods hick people. Um, Mm -hmm. and one of them gets raped, you know, it's a very, very famous scene. Um, Mm. and, and like, so that's explicitly, you know, a rape scene. And that is an incredibly, incredibly disturbing movie. And then the way that culture deals with that, right. Is to make jokes about it. So, um, so the, the, the famous thing is, and again, like I, I'm guilty of it too. Right. So, cause it's such Mm -hmm. a, it's it's such a shocking scene. So it's like, so the guy says squeal like a piggy for me. So it's a squeal. Oh, that's where that comes from. Yeah, exactly. So that's like from an actual rape scene in a real, you know, in a real movie explicitly about rape. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how we deal with that. Um, you know, that's how we get ourselves distance away from that is to, right. Right. Cause like people who see it are so shocked by it. That like, yeah, like oh yeah. geez yeah yeah we do and laughter of it. Yeah, yeah precisely yeah and 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 that's I mean it's it's been said you know uh, on other you know shows yeah. and other uh, platforms before mm-hmm. but you know um, but yeah laughter doesn't necessarily mean like you're amused by something right. it can be it can be a way of coping and and uh, and and like just being like so shocked that you don't know what else to do right mm-hmm. um, but yeah like no I. Uh, I, I I wondered even about like bringing uh, uh, this up for this movie um, because it is just so ugh, it's so hard to talk about. But um, but like there there's a point to be made there. Like if you take out the demon mm-hmm. and you and you make this Howard right. and keep everything else the same, it's 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 it, it would hit a lot differently. Right. And I don't think people would. I think people would turn away from the entire movie uh-huh. from that. Yeah, right? right. And then they wouldn't be as susceptible to the same ideas and messages about like womanhood and girlhood and violation and uh, right. And yeah, I mean, we have we have a house full of women, you know, with Carl essentially, right? right. We have a yeah. house full of women, and they're on their own, and they are trying to, you know. Mary Tyler Moore, they're trying to make their way out there, right? Mm-hmm. But but then we have these masculine forces that don't want to, to do that, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we get to we get to explore all of that in in the confines of a ghost story. Yeah, yeah. Whew. So yeah. So back to this minute here. Um, we cut back to Chris just as we hear that voice. Even though we have heard this voice before, it is still harsh and jarring, right? We have we have two women in the room. 
One of them is a little girl, and the voice we hear, while also a woman's mm-hmm. come to find, it, you know, Mercedes McCambridge, we know that it's not coming from either of them. It's not Chris's voice. It's not Reagan's voice. And it is shouting in that ugly way that can be like triggering for some people. Mm-hmm. Like no matter no matter what is it, what it is saying, there there is a way that people shout in movies. Um, and, and and there's a way that people whisper in movies mm-hmm. or laugh or cry, but especially shouting. There's this way that people shout in film that is um, almost operatic, mm-hmm. right? As as real as it is, as real as it can be at times, it's it's for the scene. And Mercedes McCambridge shouts like this in other scenes. But if you've ever been in a real life shouting match, if you've ever witnessed a domestic fight or an incident where someone like loses it in public, when they shout, they do it with no care for their own voice, Mm -hmm. for their own vocal like instruments, right? That's what's going on, right? So, so again, even without the supernatural element, it can be really, really triggering, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's this, it's this shouting that kind of is you can you can hear the instrument breaking, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, so this voice is screaming, "Let Jesus fuck you!" As we hold on, Chris, she's got her hands pressed to her face, over her mouth, eyes wide, as if she cannot believe what she is seeing. And before we can think, before we can breathe, we cut to a close-up of Reagan's hand clutching a bloody crucifix. This is the same crucifix that was found under her pillow. As Keenan pointed out, the last we saw of it was when Chris put it down on that little table after interrogating Sharon, Willie, and Carl. And before getting interrogated herself by Detective Kinderman. Again, this shot is so quick, just enough to realize what it is before the hand goes down and out of frame. The next shot is, again, very quick, but very clear. The cross comes down in between Reagan's legs, and we have confirmation that this is not Linda Blair in this shot. Mm -hmm. This is Eileen Dietz. Um, She stabs herself between the legs, and then uh, up goes the cross again. And this next shot, the one of Linda Blair's face, we're we're back with uh, uh, Linda Blair again, is the one I want to linger on. It's the technical stuff that's going to get me through this because this is probably the most (laughs) mentally and emotionally distressing uh, uh, scenes. for both actors and audience. So so I'm focusing on cinematography right now. I'm focusing on performance. And this performance, this face that Linda Blair is giving us is terrifying and heartbreaking and complex all at the same time. If you asked me, what does someone being possessed look like? Mm-hmm. What does it look like to have two entirely separate personalities fighting for control of your facial features? What does it look like? turns out it looks like this like on first glance it looks like the demon has total control her lips are drawn back in this sort of uh, snarl her brows are furrowed but then you can also see in those eyes which are terrifying they are also terrified Mm -hmm. it's almost like it's almost like one of those magic eye posters like or those visual trick images you see on tiktok where they they drain the color from like an image but your brain still tells you that the apple is green or whatever Uh, right right? Uh and and so for this image right like you look at those eyes you look at linda blair's eyes and if someone says that's the demon then you see the demon you see Uh this snarling face right you see these evil hate-filled eyes but if you look at it and someone says reagan is pleading with the demon right now she is afraid and she is pleading with him to stop. You can see that in those eyes too. How can this be? It takes a phenomenally strong actor to be able to 
to hold both of those things, not just in your mind, but then also have them show on your face. Mm -hmm. And Linda Blair is doing that right here. And folks, let us not forget that Linda Blair is saying all of these things. We don't hear her saying them because her voice has been dubbed over by Mercedes McCambridge, of course. But she had to fully embody and fully act out this part before the dubbing occurred. Yeah, we just she's, don't not, hear she's it. not like they're not having her mouth it or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no. oh, we couldn't possibly have you little girl say these things. Just, right, just right. mouth it. No, no, right. she has to do it. Yeah, she's 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 not saying peas and carrots, peas and carrots, <laughs> peas and carrots. <laughs> yeah, the um the one that's going around TikTok most recently. Like, I'm, I'm not on TikTok, so I only hear them oh. you know, from you. Someone has to text me a TikTok. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is uh, the scene from Toy Story three? where depending on whether you want to hear it as uh, as Ken, Michael Keaton's character, saying, oh, Barbie, or oh, fuck me, you know, you, you hear it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really is weird what your mind can do in those types of things. Yeah, and you can, mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. see both of them. But yeah, but she she has to completely convey all this. She has to be the one who's stabbing and the one who's being stabbed, which is yes. uh, quite something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So if there was ever any question about uh, Linda, Bear, Linda Blair's ability mm-hmm. to to perform, um, like let them let them be laid to rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. So I, I wanted to bring uh, that up in this minute because I think we all know this is a very talked about scene mm-hmm. when it comes to the question of like, well, how much did Linda Blair actually do versus Eileen Dietz right. and versus Mercedes McCambridge mm-hmm. and right like and and I think because of the crediting or I guess the the, the miscrediting snafu mm-hmm. that occurred with this role, this is one of the scenes that kind of like gets dragged out as an example of like, look how little Linda Blair actually did versus these other two ladies, yeah. right? Like, um, and, and it's one of those go-to scenes when you try to make an argument that she didn't do as much for obvious reasons. You're not going to make a child do all of this by herself. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that kind of talk very easily slips into, well, she didn't actually do anything in this scene, which is just not true. That she didn't know what, what the scene was about even. And right. they hid that from her. And we have uh, we have a lot of evidence that, that, that that's not the yeah. case, that she understood what this was. Yeah. She's not like a trained animal that is like right. doing things like on command, right? Like she knew, like she is an actor, right? right? Yeah. Um, she heard about the book. She heard that it was the scene where the little girl masturbates with the crucifix. And yeah. she said, let's do it because I'm an actor. Yeah. And she, she did the work that she was supposed to do right yeah she read the book mm-hmm. um and this we get from uh from both friedkin mm-hmm. and uh blair saying right. that she read the yeah. book beforehand and according to uh friedkin they had that conversation in the office right. about like like hey there's the scene coming up that's going to happen right. and it's like do you know what this is mm-hmm. do you know you know do you feel comfortable with right. it and all that stuff She's yeah. Like, yeah yeah i get it i'm an actor right this is this is this is my job <laughs> yeah um you know movie making is a is a team um you know mm-hmm. every once in a while you get an actor who and I understand why they don't do this very often because you as the audience member want to think it's the actor doing everything. Mm-hmm. So it, it can sometimes, so I, I get why an actor would sometimes be like, well, if I over explain like who does everything for me, like I have a, you know, I have a stand in every actor has a stand in right, um, right. in addition to a stunt double. Right. And, and mm-hmm. there's the makeup team and a, um, and a, and a vocal coach and all this stuff. And you know, like, sometimes I understand why they don't say like, Oh, you know um, it wasn't just me. It was this whole thing because that that's the illusion is we're trying to, you know, um, right. We're trying to present to the audience that we're all one person, but filmmaking is a team. And, you know, there are these four or five women, depending on how we're counting, who are playing, right. uh, we're playing Reagan, mm-hmm. plus mm-hmm. Dick Smith, the makeup artist, and then plus the costume uh, designer and the hair and makeup people who are two separate people. Like, it's a whole, it's a whole thing to make a character. Right, right. Yes. And I think, I wonder 
if the if if Friedkin had just been like a little bit more upfront mm-hmm. about that, then this whole this whole mess wouldn't have erupted the way it did. Because once you try to hide that mm-hmm. and then you get caught, right. then suddenly, you know, people are like, well, what else are you keeping from us? Yeah. Right? Like you told us that Linda Blair did everything. And now we're finding out that she it was was part of this of this team. And and like in people's mind, that equates to, well, she didn't do everything equals she didn't do anything. Well, you know, in Friedkin, this is that part of 1970s filmmaking where it's the auteur, right? The director as the god, the director mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. the main artist, and the directors that we tend to like from this period or the ones that are, are, are presented as the best epitome of what a director is are the one who is a producer and a writer, and the story is autobiographical in some way. And and so that is, you know, th- that downplays the collaborative nature of a cinema. Um, mm. So, you know, like you said, it's Stanley Kubrick, who, uh, you know, to be fair, Stanley Kubrick on The Shining did write and produce and direct the movie right but like we you know to say william friedkin's the exorcist right Mm -hmm. um that's true and not true right um right the director is the most important filmmaker for sure um Mm. like by far but like we we got into this place in the 1970s in america where it was like the director is the only one and everything flows out of them with their vision with the capital v so Mm -hmm. you know this conversation about linda blair's performance um is partially i think a um an artifact of like Oscar nomination nonsense, right? Like trying to award um, one person for a performance when a performance is, you know, also the editor and also, you know, all all sorts of things, right? Um, You know, so that's just an artifact of that. And I think also part of this, like, um, this other artifact of like the auteur era of of, like trying to, trying to give people trying to, to break down in layman's term where the credit lies for a film when a film is the most complicated art form that had ever existed up at this time. Right, yeah. So yeah, so speaking to all of that, folks, right, and to this scene, we have Linda Blair's voice. We got this terrifying close-up of her face mm-hmm. playing two characters at the same time. And in the fight between Chris and Reagan that's coming up, I'd say we've had we have just as many shots of Linda Blair from the front as we do from uh, the back, where it's you know definitely Eileen Dietz. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so so actually speaking uh, of these shots in this fight, so uh, uh, Chris up to this point has been paralyzed with fear, mm-hmm. right? She's she's standing in the doorway watching all of this. Now she regains control and she runs over to rescue her daughter. Again, folks, maybe this is obvious to everyone else, but I was struck again by the fact that Chris doesn't just turn around and run out of the room. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. like we haven't mentioned, Keenan, uh, Carl mm-hmm. is on the floor in the room, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, what do you mean Carl's on the... We have to... Yes, yes, we have to... Okay, we, we, we have to... We have to um, uh, what is this preface? We have to, we have to, yeah, I guess. Okay. That's I guess we have bomb to, ex- that you just dropped there. Lester. I just, I just dropped a bomb and I was just going to like, just, just like, like skip past it, but no, no, no. Okay. And we have to explain not, ourselves. He's not waiting for his turn in the bathroom. Like he, no, like he was no. before. <laughs> he waited too long and he just collapsed <laughs> in a puddle of piss. <laughs> oh God. Anything to get me through this. Um, but no, no. Yeah. So, so, um, our good friend over at um, Exorcist Reviews, the, the YouTube channel that we mentioned before, and I'll link him in the show notes again mm-hmm. for this. Um, he brought to our attention that Carl is, in fact, unconscious on the floor in the room right now. And that's supposed to be a little nod to the book. And I do remember this from the book. Um, when Chris first hears the ruckus downstairs, she thinks it's Carl shouting at Reagan, uh, maybe doing maybe doing something to Reagan. Um, it's a masculine voice, right? That's what the it's book, a, it's the a, book yeah, 
and the and the and the um the screenplay keep calling in a man's voice or a, a yeah, man's right. voice, right? Yeah. And like who else who else could that be, right? Because right? Kinderman just left, right. so Burke's dead. Yeah, so and Burke's dead. <laughs> Bye, Burke. <laughs> And if it were Burke's voice, it's like, well, you just, just do it. Just do it for me. Yeah, just do it. Hey, come on, my darling. Jesus fuck. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to keep that in. Oh, Burke. Um, but yeah. And he speaks in Burke's voice anyway later right. on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But uh, yeah. So so she thinks it's 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 Carl. Um, and so she climbs the stairs and she realizes, no, it's not Carl's voice. It's another deeper voice um, that she's never heard before. Uh, you know, and then she she gets in there and she sees Reagan on the bed um, uh, talking in two voices. And Carl and this is the book, folks, Carl is knocked out on the floor. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that when the demon first started attacking Reagan, Carl was in there and he was trying to help her. And the demon just smacked him and knocked him out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe one of those like loud bellows was Carl. Oh, yeah. like, it was like, mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? Stop, right. you know, like, you know, and, and the demon just like, bam, right. you know, smacks him. Um, and, and that's one of the theories of how the crucifix got back up there as well. I still think it's Captain Howdy who did it mm-hmm. again, just, just to mess with everybody in the family. Again, the same reason that he's like waiting to show uh, Chris, like what he's doing uh, to her daughter, right? right? It's, it's all for the, again, the pain of, of both Chris and Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so. Carl was up there trying to save Reagan and the demon knocked him out. And then Chris comes up there, sees her daughter acting crazy, sees that she knocked Carl unconscious, this big, strong man. And that's what I was getting at, folks. Mom, after seeing all of this, runs into the room. She runs to her daughter to rescue her. She is not repulsed by this. She is not repelled by this, right? She sees her big, strong butler lying on the floor from this demon smack, and she still runs in there. Right. So we'll come back to that in the next minute where we actually have some film evidence that Carl is there, and that's Mm -hmm. thanks to our Exorcist Reviews friend, but we'll come back to that. So we're not crazy. No. <laughs> well, we are. <laughs> well, yeah, yes. We got to preface that as, as well. As you yeah. see, they have the beginning of this episode and continue yeah. on until today. Yeah. But yeah, yes. but we will. Yeah, there is some evidence in the film that Carl is, in fact, on the floor. Yes, yes. And so that might have been a, a, a something that ended up on the cutting room floor. Yes. It is certainly in there in the book. But yeah, so so yeah, we'll talk about okay. that in the next minute. Right. Um, but yeah, so so in this minute, right, Chris runs in there and tries to get this cross out of Reagan's hand. And you can see in this shot where it's Linda and and we can see her face again. Mm-hmm. It is fucking scary. These eyes are like, are these contacts making her eyes look darker, like more black? Or is this just Linda Blair's regular eyes? Like she has brown eyes regularly. Right. I, I like I checked. But like, I think like so. this shot is so fast, but I believe that's what's going on there. I believe that, you know, in addition to this makeup, um, this mask that we have on her, this, um, you know, she's wearing, you know, um, like a prosthetic sort of makeup job, like somewhere somewhere between like a full prosthetic and just you know uh, powder makeup. It's something in between. Okay, now. and then yeah, I believe that it is it is uh, contacts because it is quite dark, quite scary. Yeah, it's like 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 a like a shark's eyes. Yes, like it it is it is very animalistic. Like like the like an animal that that 
like you would call a killing machine. Right. Very, very scary. My, um, uh, my friend Zach Bolio has very dark eyes and he, uh, you know, my mother works at the DMV and she said, I, I have, I have pretty dark eyes and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, you can say black hair, but you have to say brown eyes. There are no black eyes, you know, right. but my yeah. friend Zach Bolio somehow convinced the DMV to let him uh, say he has black eyes. Oh, <laughs> so really? it says, yeah, brown. Eyes. So maybe they, maybe just confuse them or something. He has brown hair, black eyes on his uh, driver's yeah. license. So he'll show that off as like proof from the government that he's really badass. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, like, these eyes, yeah. Okay, I'm glad you said that because yeah, these eyes, Keenan, these are black, yeah. right? And they are filled with this like malicious glee. And and if she wasn't using contacts, that's that's even more of an accomplishment, right? Mm-hmm. Like to, to make those regular eyes look like that, right? The, the demon is just so happy that mom has come to try to rescue her daughter, right? This fight ensues with Chris shouting, uh, give it to me. And then the demon grabs her head and forces her down into her daughter's crotch mm-hmm. and screams, lick me, lick me. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't see anything. We we only have this, this close-up of Reagan's face. And again, folks, I was actually wondering at this point if maybe this was a mask. Yeah. You said mask, Keenan. Yeah, it's something like that. I don't know if that's the right uh, makeup term, but yeah. I, I was, it was like... Could this maybe be Eileen Dietz here wearing a, a Linda Blair oh, mask? I, no, I don't think so. I think that would be too complicated. This this is clearly Linda Blair, but okay, all right. And and like God, the, the effects people here had me like really wondering mm-hmm. if this if this weren't like a like a full on Halloween rubber Linda Blair mask, like as as realistic as like the dummy we're gonna see in a few shots from right. now. And the reason I thought this was a mask, folks, was because like all during this struggle, Linda's eyes, like like this is like her eyes look dead. Mm-hmm. It's so chilling. Like remember at the beginning of this minute, we had her eyes looking like there were two people behind them, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing I keep talking about her eyes, right? Then we got these these like gleeful, malevolent eyes when when mom runs in to help, and now we got. Eyes that are so empty and dead, it actually took me out of the movie to wonder if maybe this was like a rubber mask, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then, folks, the last frame of this shot where we linger on that hideous face and it transforms into a snarl. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, it's definitely not a rubber mask. Exactly. Um, her, Her lips are pulled back and you can see all the teeth. The eyes are bulging out of her face. It looks like she's doing an impression of it. It looks like Captain Howdy. <laughs> Captain Howdy has fully materialized in this little girl and is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, not a hidden Howdy. That is, that is, a, that is a very... That is an E for explicit howdy. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's that's what I wanted to focus on here, folks. Like in the midst of this horrendous scene with horrendous real life implications, I want us all to note that Linda Blair got up that day. Mm-hmm. She came to set knowing that probably just the scene itself was going to be enough mm-hmm. to scare people, mm-hmm. right? Like having talked to Friedkin, knowing uh, that it was going to be confusing and chaotic and people were going to be more scared by the idea of the scene itself, just like the the, the self-mutilation aspect and the blasphemy aspect, mm-hmm. you know, back in that time was going to be enough. And Linda knew all of that. And she said, no. Mm-hmm. I'm going to scare them. Mm-hmm. They're going to be scared because of me. 
And she did it. Every shot that is trained on her face, she is giving us 200%. That's 100% for Reagan and 100% for Captain Howdy. There is no Linda Blair here to the point where she actually fooled me into thinking this was another actor wearing a rubber mask. Like that is the work of an actor. And this scene, just the craziness of this scene, the brutality and the grossness of this scene distracts us from what I think is a is a chilling performance. But actually, okay, so that is all of my notes for this scene. But Keenan, I wanted to talk about um, two more things here. Um, Firstly, I think I remember anecdotally that this was one of the first moments when Friedkin and Blatty kind of um, butted heads about something. Uh And I think this was the idea that Blatty wanted the masturbation scene to be a little bit more implied. He didn't want it to be too graphic. He wanted it to be more like you don't really see anything. Uh It's just kind of like the implication of this horrible blasphemous act. And Friedkin was like, nope, Mm -hmm. I'm going to close up on it. I'm going to make it bloody. I'm going to put it in everybody's face. I'm going to make it like as graphic and gross as possible. Mm Um, And I think that was one of the kind of like arguments they had. Now for you, where did we end up? Is this more the Blatty side or the Friedkin side? Oh, what we're seeing in the film? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is definitely more the Friedkin side. And I'm actually thankful. (laughs) Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. Because, and folks, like before you, before you misunderstand, right? (laughs) Shut this podcast off. (laughs) (laughs) No, because the book, Mm -hmm. if you can, if you can believe me, is worse. Mm Mm-hmm. The book is worse because, and this goes back to what we were talking about um, with the desecration of, of uh, the Mary statue. Mm-hmm. The book makes it more sexual uh-huh. and less uh, um, gory. Yeah, because we described this as a masturbation scene, and I don't know which in, the in this movie, movie it is not. It is. Not, I would not call this a masturbation scene in the movie. I would say it's a self mutilation. This is a stabbing yes. self mutilation scene. Yes, and it's it's it is done in a again a sexual way that is you know repulsive. Right. But this is not like a self gratifying thing at all. No, right. No. So I it, think it's fair to say it's rape without saying it's masturbation, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So all all of that, yeah, and it, it's it's the sounds of it are not are like yeah, mutilation is the right word. The yeah, sounds this the is, sounds they add are disgusting, stabbing, right? Yeah, it 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 involves the bodily areas of a masturbation scene, mm-hmm. but that's it, right? Like mm-hmm. this is, this is like, this is, she could be stabbing herself in the leg. She could be stabbing herself right. in the stomach, right? Which in, in reality, it's, it's Eileen Dietz stabbing like, um, like a, like a, a bloody sponge in between her, right. her yeah. knees yeah, yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's not, so it's not, uh, you, well, <laughs> did you know folks, this is, there's, there's nothing real about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that brings me up to what I want to talk about in the script. Oh, wait, so. wait, wait, can I, can oh, I, can I say, yeah. So, but yeah, I, I bring that up because yeah, Keenan in the book, like Captain Howdy actually like croons with pleasure. Uh-huh. Right. It, it, like it, it's it's much much more disturbing because that scene you can actually call a masturbation scene. Uh-huh, this it. is this is much more like mutilation, and that's why I'm saying like, I, I would I would not want to I would not be doing a movies by minute thing mm-hmm. uh, of this of this movie if they kept it the way that Blatty wanted it in the same right. way that they like they they wanted to paint the Virgin Mary like 
like you know with boobs and a and a dick or something right, like and, right. and make it more sexual and Friedkin seems to have I don't know if he did this intentionally or not right. but by adding more blood and 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 gore and grossness to mm-hmm. it he puts it more into the realm of of horror and uh-huh. shock and 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 like like ooh you know this is, this is gross this is Jason Voorhees Michael Myers you know stuff versus like what it could have been which would have been way more disturbing right well i want to uh, look at what we have in our script which again is from december of 72 so early on in the production of this oh, version that we have here um but no it does it does say i don't i don't want to read word for word but yeah. um but i think it's interesting that uh the the three times it's mentioned that the crucifix is going to be stabbing or going into the vagina or what have you uh-huh. um uh blatty is very clear he sort of breaks the typical mode that you have in a screenplay where you're just sort of flowing along and you're seeing the movie as you're reading he uh-huh. takes us out of that mm. and so he says um da, 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 yada 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 i'm trying to yada yada over some of the terrible stuff here yeah, 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 yeah. um as which the- this is all like folks if you're if you're wondering it's like hey why is there no reading from the book of body in this episode <laughs> why do you think take a guess and then and then yeah so so keenan keenan uh the, the book and the screenplay are available online if you want to yes. go check mm-hmm. that out But this says, as the crucifix is plunged down and out of sight, underlined, out of sight at Reagan's vagina. So that's that's not necessarily how most screenplays are written. Where It might as well be like, out of sight, Billy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The demonic face looks down and we hear, all caps, hear, all caps, Reagan Mm. demon roaring. So so again, we are not, we don't want to see it. Um, Okay, a little bit further on. Chris has raced in screaming, grappling to take hold of the crucifix. We see blood on Reagan's thighs, but never the vagina. All caps, never the vagina. So he's being really clear what we're not supposed to be seeing here. And so, Hmm. you know, um, yeah, occasionally a screenplay will say we see or we hear when it's clear, like we see things that the... um, that the uh, of the characters don't see, right? That's a really useful mm. thing. And then sometimes, yeah, you call out point of view shot. This is the '70s, so there were a little bit more things like we have here, moving shot or, or pointing the camera. But um, but yeah, even even within that mode of it, like describing what we do not see and what we that that is a little that's very atypical um, for screenplay style of the time. And then we do get uh, a little bit later as she crawls closer. Reagan now has her back to the camera, looking down. Mm. And we know the crucifix is being used for masturbation. He misspells masturbation, but you know, mm. um, that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got other things on his mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is bloody. Um, but yeah, there's a little typo there. But yeah, so he's very, very clear about like, okay, we're looking over the shoulder, but we're not seeing. He doesn't want um, to even, I think he doesn't even want to get caught like having anybody, oh, you know, when I read your script, I guess I misunderstood that this is going to happen this way. That right, we do right. This. I was just, you know, following your instructions, Bill, you know, uh, Bill, and, and mm-hmm. this is what you wanted, right? So it's incredibly, incredibly clear what he what he says here. Interesting. Well, dang. Okay, well, now I don't know how to feel mm-hmm. about Blatty because I thought you were going to read the screenplay and it was going to be exactly like the book, which is which is really, really hard to uh, read at that part. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like to the point where, like, I mean – you you know that that Captain Howdy calls her all of these horrible things yes. throughout the throughout the book. Right. That's the only scene where he calls her something nice, and it's it's, ugh, it's oh, so bad. Yeah, it's so terrible. so so bad, and it's like not. I mean, oh god, not even nice, but like it's a it's a, it's a term of endearment that is 
and and that makes it so much worse. Are right? you uh, trying not to say it, or do you remember what it says? I have a version he of this call, in the yeah, script here. He calls her. I can't remember. Like like my sweet, my pearl, oh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, in the in the screenplay, it says here. There's my pearl, my sweet honey piglet. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like thinking of like all the. It's like you bitch, you mm-hmm. you, you pig, you sow, right. right? Like you you yeah, you cunting this, you blah blah, mm-hmm, you know. Right. And and somehow that's less. Uh, 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 stomach churning than like when when he's doing this scene and he's calling her like like pet names. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, really ah, nice, right. ah, mm-hmm. yeah. But again, it's man, I don't know. Like like I'm I'm like both both options seem horrible. You know, because right. it's like so. Blatty wrote that. That's in the book. But then he's like so explicit about like now when we do the movie none of this is going to be, you know, like seen. So it's like, well, geez, like who do I be mad at? Because like, like then Friedkin's like, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to put it all out on the screen. Um, But then it's like, well, yeah, but actually it's like, it's not, it's, it's still not as bad as, as Blatty's book. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But at least we know that like when Blatty was making the screenplay, he's like, it's like, let's, let's, um, what's the word? Like, let's go full hog. No, no, in the screenplay, I mean. <laughs> just trying to. Oh, <laughs> right, got it. Because the pig stuff. <laughs> well, let let let's not go full hog. Let's 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 have everything be implied, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, I guess um, I wanted to check in with you and see if you had heard anything about like them arguing back and forth about this scene. Yeah, you had a more more detailed version than I had. So okay, all right, yeah. Um, and then the. Second thing I wanted to check in with you about is so in in interviews, Blatty admitted that this scene came to his mind because he was trying to think of the um, he he was trying to think of like the worst, most blasphemous, most horrible thing imaginable. Mm-hmm. And in the 1970s, in in Catholic 1970s, mm-hmm. that was doing that with a crucifix, right? So I've seen the first season of the the TV show, the Exorcist TV show, and th- this instance is called back in the TV show, except I guess for modern sensibilities, mm-hmm. it's used with a hot curling iron. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking, it's like, well, yeah, because, I mean, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is how much of this like shock and horror is the fact that it's a crucifix versus how much of the shock and horror is the fact that like she's stabbing herself with anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It has to be both. Right. Yeah. Right. But like today, if it was a crucifix, like that wouldn't, I don't know, like the, the fact that they changed it to a hot curling iron instead Mm. kind of says that like the, the, the blasphemous element is uh, is is at least waning these days, right? You know That's a I really mean? good indicator. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and like it just as like like uh, disturbing, and it's like the fact that it's like like you know this this demon making this this girl do this to herself, and it's a hot curling iron. That's that's you know, ah. you know what might also be is that like um it's like the horror of everyday things, right? So a crucifix hmm. in the set. You're probably more likely in a ho- to be in a household with the crucifix in 1973, right? I don't have any right. in my house, right? You might have some in your house. But yeah, but yeah. now, but you know, a um, but a curling iron, everybody has that lying around. Right. right. And the fact that, yeah, actually, okay, so the fact that it's not like a, 
a a curved ceremonial sacrifice knife or something <laughs> right. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's like, oh God, I could be compelled. I'm, I'm I'm answering the call of the void and picking up right. something in my house that's terrible and doing that to myself. The 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 new Evil Dead has um it, which I have not seen. I will not see. It's too scary for me. Mm. <laughs> uh, has it with the, in the trailer? Has it with a cheese grater? Right, that you know, Ooh. something so you know that you you see every day and like, oh God, now I'm going to think about that all the time. Great, right, right. <laughs> But if it was like the cheese grater of Cthulhu, then mm-hmm. it would be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, what else does Cthulhu use this for? I mean, right. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, certainly not to grate cheese because, you know, <laughs> uh, OK, so, yeah, so that's so that's the other thing. OK, all right. Um, <laughs> I think I think that is all I have for this minute. And we certainly got all some. Right. Um, yeah, it's not going to slow down, folks. Uh, the next <laughs> minute. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we got the second half of this scene. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, just, just, yeah, be ready for that. Um, but yeah, so that's all of my notes. Keenan, is there, is there anything else we missed? Nope. Let's get out of this. Let's get out. Yeah. So <laughs> folks, this has been another excellent. <laughs> should we let stop the show here? Should, should we, we just, just like, finish? This is the last. Right in and let us know. <laughs> Lester and Keenan, you guys need to go see a psychiatrist and, and, and to heal from this. And and then also a priest. Yeah. Um, no. Okay, folks, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I have been Lester Ryan Clark. You can find me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I've been Keenan Diaz. And you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd as Howdy Keenan. Yes, we got our listener group, Compelling Conversations. Go check that out and request to join. And we'll let you in here with us. Thank you so much to everybody who has shared the show by word of mouth or on social media. And a big thank you to everyone who has given us a five-star rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to our show. We really appreciate it. And that's going to help our little podcast grow and find more cool people like you. Mm. All right, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the power of Gilbert Godfrey compels you. <laughs>